So at this time, we're blessed to have our second message for the day by Bonabas Grayson, Principles of Salvation. Good afternoon, everyone. There are some parts in the Bible where the uh, reading can bog down. You probably know where those places are. For many, it is in the reading of who begat who, like in the Old Testament in Genesis 4, where Erad begat Methusael and Mehujael begat so-and-so and so on so forth. Also in the book of Numbers, we read about uh, a genealogy of who begat who, and also in the book of Chronicles. So probably most of you are familiar with those places in, in the Bible where your reading can kind of bog down. But it's not just in the Old Testament. In the New Testament, in the book of Matthew chapter 1, and we'll go there in chapter 1 and in verse 2, we see where Abraham begat Isaac, Isaac begat Jacob, and Jacob begat Judas and his brethren. Judas begat Perez and Zerah of Thamar, Tamar, Tamar, who that is, and Perez begat Ezram, who begat Aram, who begat Abinadab, and who begat Naasson, and who begat Salmon, and who begat Booz of Rachel, or uh, Rachab, that is, and who begat Obed of Ruth, who begat Jesse, Jesse begat David the king, and David the king begat Solomon of her that had been the wife of uh, Uriah, that was Bathsheba, the, you know, the hit, uh, Uriah's the Hittite. We skip on down to verse 16. And Jacob begat Joseph, the husband of Mary, of whom was born Jesus, who is called Christ. So it can be a long uh, reading list, but you get the idea of uh, uh, how sometimes we detour around all of these uh, names, all this family tree that we see, and we skip ahead to the meteor parts of the Bible that we're reading, the chapter that we're reading. But those names, however, carry important meanings uh, that, uh, that connect us to our past. And, you know, they're not there just to take up space. And one can find in these special stories that within them, there are things that can help us to understand God's love, His salvation, and his helping hand along the way. In Hebrews chapter 11, we also see a who's who list of the faithful and a mention of the particular trials that they overcame and endured. And we see that these all died in faith, having not received the promise, but are written there in the book of life. And they're asleep until they receive that coming reward for which we all uh, aspire toward. But these, uh, they are names that uh, are meant for us to consider, to think about, and in some way find a way to relate to. And these are examples of faith and all of these names that we come across. Now in the book of Matthew chapter 1, we read the genealogy, or we read the genealogy of Christ from Adam to Abraham and to David and to Christ. And we know that the Bible tells us a lot about these men. So we have a pretty good idea of what their life was like and, and how things, uh, how the things that they did, the things that they endured. But uh, 
just like the ups and downs in our life too that we can sometimes relate to. But as we read in this genealogy of who begat who, there, there are names of five women that are mentioned. And it is their stories that reveal to us some important principles pertaining to life and salvation. Now, a principle is a fundamental truth or it's a proposition that serves as a foundation for a belief or for an action. So we read about Ruth, uh, uh, Tamar, Ruth, Rahab, Bathsheba, and Mary, who are all mentioned in chapter 1 of Matthew. And in, in these, we find some truths about human life and salvation through the loving hand of the Eternal. In Matthew chapter 1 and verse 3, Judas begat Therese and Zerah of Tamar, or Tamar, and that's not the daughter of, uh, of David, the Tamar of David, that is, but the one that's mentioned in Genesis 38. And there we see the story of Tamar. Her name means upright and has references to a palm, a palm tree. She was the daughter-in-law of Judas, the wife of uh, his uh, firstborn son, Aaron, but he was wicked and the Lord slew him. Slew heir. So it became the duty of his second son, Onan, to continue the lineage of Judas. But Onan defied the custom, and it displeased the Lord, and he was slain. Now his third son was not yet old enough, so uh, Judas told his daughter-in-law, Tamar, to wait until he was grown. Genesis 38, verse 11, Then said Judah to Tamar, his daughter-in-law, Remain a widow, at your father's house, tell Shelah, my son, be grown. For he said, lest peradventure he die also as his brethren did. So Judas must have thought that there was a possibility of Shelah dying uh, wickedly like his, uh, like his brothers did. And he might die, but he told Tamar to wait until uh, he was grown. In verse 12, in the process of time, the daughter of Shua, Judah's wife, died. And Judah was comforted, and he went up unto his sheep shearers to Timnath, and he and his friend and uh, uh, the Adullamite named Hira. And it was told Tamar, saying, Behold, your father-in-law goes up to Timnath to shear his sheep. And so, with the with the news of that, she put her put on uh, put off her widow's garments, and covered her with a veil, and wrapped herself, and sat in an open place which is, by the way, to Timnath, for she saw that Sheila was grown, and she was not given unto him to wife, as Judah had, had promised. So there must have been some anger and some, uh, uh, something that she wanted to retaliate, to avenge herself. And when Judah saw her in verse uh, uh, 15, he thought her to be a harlot because she had covered her face. And in verse 16, he didn't know that was his daughter-in-law, and she said, What will you give me that you may come in unto me? And Judas said, I will send you a kid from the flock. And she said, Will you give me a pledge till you send it? And in verse 18, Judas said, Well, what pledge shall I give you? And she said, Your signet, your bracelets, and your staff. And so he gave it uh, to her. And verse 19, she arose, went away. And in verse 20, Judah sent the kid by the hand of his friend and to receive his pledge from the woman's hand, but 
she wasn't there to be found. And so they asked the men of that place, well, where is the harlot that was openly by the wayside? And they said, well, there was no harlot in this place. That's because um, she had taken off her uh, harlot's clothes and went back into her widow's dress. And so uh, he returned to Judah and said, I can't find her. And the men of the uh, place said, there was no harlot in this place. So it came to pass about three months later that it was told Judah, saying, Tamar, your daughter-in-law, has played the harlot. And also, behold, she is with child by whoredom. And Judah said, Bring her forth and let her be burnt. He was appalled by what uh, she did. And when she was brought forth, he sent to her father-in-law, saying, By the man whose these are, am I with child? And she showed them the, the signet and the bracelet and the staff. And so Judah, all he could do was to acknowledge them and said, She has been more righteous than I because that I gave her not to Sheila, my son. So he, he recognized her vengeance, knowing that uh, she was just getting back at him for not uh, promising, uh, going through with his promise to give Sheila as husband to her. And he knew her again no more. So this story is typical of human nature. The Bible tells us that all have sinned, and in this story we, we glean the principle of sin that is at work in uh, every human being. And this mention of Tamar and Judas and his sons do confirm the human tendency is toward sinfulness in whatever degree it may occur. So we see also that wickedness is displeasing to God and that the wages of sin is death. We see that our sinfulness is an accepted uh, fact before God because sin is universal. The transgression of God's law of love can you know, be seen everywhere in our society today and the weight of all that we know is bound to collapse our society. The more and more people go into sin, it's gonna weigh down some way, somehow, and it'll be the straw that breaks the camel's back one of these days. But we're all guilty of sin to some degree or another. And here's how the Father looks at this. In Isaiah 64, we read in verse 6 that we are all as an unclean thing. And all our righteousness are as filthy rags, and we all do fade as a leaf. And our iniquities, like the wind, have taken us away. And there is none that calls upon your name, that stirs himself to take hold of you, for you have hid your face from us and have consumed us because of our iniquities. So all have sinned, all have come short of the glory of God. There is none righteous, and this principle of sinfulness was sordidly described in the story of Tamar. Her name means upright, but we see how sin in a moment of weakness and anger and all the things that make for sin, one can become corrupted. Verse 8, But now, O Lord, you are our father. We are the clay, and you our potter, and we are all the work of your hand. And this is good news to remember, because even as we know that there is none righteous, and in spite of the sinful way that Tamar went in about things, Tamar is included in the line of Jesus Christ. Now the amazing grace of God accepted her just as he accepts us. 
into the line of righteousness through Jesus Christ upon our repentance. But we also know that along with Tamar was the recklessness and the misconduct, misbehavior, unprincipled behavior of Judas and his family. And it may seem a wonder how the Lord should spring out of Judah. But in Tamar we see, we see sin, but we also see God's plan of salvation. Christ came into the world to save sinners, even the chief of them. He came to put away sin by the sacrifice of himself, and he used such characters as Judas and Tamar not only to be his ancestors, but an example unto us, showing that the principle of sin and its consequences cannot prevent him from accomplishing righteousness in them. So the Savior is the master potter. We are the clay. As long as we you know, have the Holy Spirit, remain pliable to the way he shapes us. Next is uh, the principle of faith as seen in Rahab. Matthew chapter 1, verse 5. And, Sa and Solomon begat Boaz, or Booz of Rachel, that's Rachel, or that's Rahab. And her story is found in Joshua chapter 2, verse 1. And Joshua the son of Nun sent out of Shittim two men as spies secretly. And he's telling them to go spy out the land, especially the land of Jericho. And so they came to this house of ill repute, the house of a harlot named Rahab, and they stayed there. In verse 2, it's told the king of uh, Jericho that the, the, uh, they were told by these men that they had seen these Israelites there, these a couple of men that they thought to be um, spies. And in verse 3, the king of Jericho, well, he sent some men over to Rahab to turn the uh, Israelite men over. And uh, verse 4, but the woman took the two men and she hid them. And in verse 5, and it came to pass about the time of the shutting of the gate, when it was dark that the men went out, where the men went, I won't, don't know. Pursue after them quickly, for you shall overtake them. So, in verse 6, she had brought them up to the roof of the house, hid them with stalks of flax, which she had laid in order upon the roof. And in verse 7, the men pursued after them all the way to Jordan unto the fords. Let's skip down to uh, verse 9. And she said unto the men, I know that the Lord has given you the land, and that your terror is fallen upon us, and that all the inhabitants of the land faint because of you. For we have heard how the Lord dry, dried up the waters of the Red Sea for you when uh, you came out of Egypt, and what he did to, unto the two kings of the Amorites, whom you utterly destroyed. And uh, verse 11, And as soon as we had heard these things, our hearts did melt. Neither did there remain any more courage in any man because of you. For the Lord, your God, he is God in heaven, above and in earth beneath. So this on the part of Rahab was a confession of her faith that she had come to believe in God and in his strength and in his might and how he was with the children of Israel. So from the time she heard of what he had done and can do for his children, her faith began to grow and it didn't you know, just happen in just that one that one instance, that one night, when, and when she saw the two strangers, she knew, and she decided that she needed to be on the Lord's side. 
sight unseen, but with the hope that somehow she and her family could be spared. Uh, verse 12, so she tells them, Now therefore I pray you, swear unto me by the Lord, since I have showed you kindness, that you will also show kindness unto my father's house and give me a uh, true token, and that you will save alive my father and my mother and my brethren and my sisters and all that they have and deliver our lives from death. So the men answered her, Our life for yours, if you utter not this our business, and it shall be, that we will deal kindly and truly with you. In verse 15, So she let them down by a cord through the window, for her house was upon the town wall, and she dwelt upon the wall. Uh, skip on down to verse 18. Behold, when we come into the land, you shall bind this line of scarlet thread, this cord, in the window which you did let us down by, and ye shall bring your father, your mother, your brethren, and so on unto thee. So Rahab's household was saved, much like you remember the children of Israel when they painted the uh, blood around their doorways and were saved from death. So Rahab believed in the promise, and she brought salvation to herself and her kin. In Hebrews 11, in verse 31, it says that by faith the harlot Rahab perished not with them that believed not when she had received the spies with, uh, with uh, peace. So her faith pleased God. And we read in Hebrews 11 that without faith it is impossible to please God. For he that comes to God must believe that he is. And that's what uh, uh, Rahab did. She came to believe in the existence of the eternal God. She was at first a licentious woman, but in spite of that reputation, she's mentioned in the lineage of Jesus Christ. Her faith led her to believe, and her obedience saw to her salvation through the grace and the mercy of God. The third thing, the third principle, the principle of grace, and we see uh, this in Ruth. You know, there's a whole book about Ruth, the book by her name, and it tells us about a Gentile woman uh, from the land of Moab who married a Jewish man who was a son of Naomi. Naomi had two other sons who were married, and they died. And when he died, uh, her, uh, when they died and her husband had died, she decided that she wanted to return to her own country. And she asked Ruth and her sister-in-law uh, to stay and remarry. But Ruth decided, as we know, to go along, to go with her husband's mother. Her story is in uh, the book, chapter 1, verse 1. It came to pass in the days when the judges ruled that there was a famine in the land. And a certain man of Bethlehem, Judah, went to sojourn in the country of Moab, he and his wife and his two sons. And the name of the man was Elimelech, and the name of his wife, Naomi, and the name of his two sons, Malon and Chilion, Ephrathites of Bethlehem, Judah. And they came into the country of Moab and continued there. In verse 3, And Elimelech, Naomi's husband died, and she was left and her two sons. And they took them wives of the women of Moab. The name of one was Orpah, and the name of the other, Ruth. And they dwelled there about ten years. And Malin and Chilion died also, both of them, and the women was left of her two sons and her husband. Then she arose with her daughters-in-law, that she might return from the country of Moab. For she had heard in the country of Moab how that the Lord had visited his people, in giving them bread. 
uh, verse 8, And Naomi said unto her uh, two daughters-in-law, Go, return each to her mother's house. The Lord deal kindly with you, as you have dealt with the dead. She's telling them to uh, stay, to go to their mother's house. You're good to my sons, good to my husband, and so on, and with me. And in verse 9, The Lord grant you that you may find rest, each of you in the house of her husband. Then she kissed them, and they lifted up their voice, and they wept. So that was a sad occasion uh, for that particular uh, event. Verse uh, 10, they said unto her, Surely we will return with you unto your people. But Naomi said, Turn again, my daughters. Why will you go with me? Are there yet any more sons in my womb, that they may be your husbands? Turn again. Return, she said. My daughters, go your way, for I am too old to have a husband. If I should say I have hope, if I should have a husband also tonight, and should also bear sons, would you wait for them until they are grown? Would you stay for them ha uh, from, ha from having husbands? No, or nay, my daughters, for it grieves me much for your sakes that the hand of the Lord is gone against me. So they lifted up their voice, they wept again, and Orpah kissed her mother-in-law, but Ruth clave unto her. And she said, verse 15, Behold, your sister-in-law, Orpah, has gone back and to her people and unto her gods. Return you after your sister-in-law. And Ruth said, Entreat me not to leave you or to return from following after you. For where you go, I will go, and where you lodge, I will lodge, your people shall be my people, and your God, my God. Verse 19, and when, uh, so the, the two went until they came to Bethlehem, and it came to pass when they were come to Bethlehem that all the city was moved about them. They saw them coming, and said, they said, is this Naomi? And she said unto them, don't call me Naomi, which means pleasant, call me Mara, which means bitter, for the Almighty has dealt bitterly with me. So you can imagine how Naomi must have felt. She felt crushed because, you know, she lost the loved ones. But we also see later on God's compassion and his grace later on. So Naomi returned, verse 22, and Ruth the Moabitess, and they returned out of the country of Moab to Bethlehem, you know, the house of bread. Chapter 2 tells us that Ruth went to glean from the field of Boaz. He was a strong, he was a wealthy man. And he saw her, and he left extra gleanings uh, for her to pick up, and he also fell in love with her. Uh, I'm going to skip reading this, uh, chapter 2, and go to chapter 4. Now we see that there were some things that Boaz had to do to claim Ruth as his legal bride and perpetuate the order of the family of Elimelech. Chapter 4, Boaz said unto the elders and, and unto all the people, Your witnesses this day that I have bought all that was Elimelech's and all that was Chilean's and Malin's of the hand of Naomi. Moreover, Ruth the Moabitess, the wife of Malin, have I purchased to be my wife, to raise up the name of the dead upon his inheritance, that the name of the dead be not cut off from among his brethren, from the gate of his place, your witnesses this day. In verse 11, all the people that were in the gate and the elders said, We are witnesses. 
The Lord make the woman that is come into your house like Rachel and like Leah, which too did build the house of Israel, and do worthily in Ephratah, and be famous in Bethlehem. And let the house, your house be like the house of Perez, whom Tamar bare unto Judah, of the seed which the Lord shall give you of this young woman. So Boaz took Ruth, and she was his wife, and he went in unto her, and the Lord gave her conception, and she bare a son. And the, woman, the women said unto Naomi, Blessed be the Lord, which has not left you this day without a kinsman, that his name may be famous in Israel. And he shall be unto you a restorer of life, a nourisher of your old age for your daughter-in-law, which loves you, which is better to you than seven sons has borne him. And Naomi took the child, laid it in her bosom, and became a nurse unto it. So she raised it, and God gave her uh, a family again. And the women, her neighbors, gave it a name, saying, There is a son born to, to Naomi, and they called his name Obed. He is the father of Jesse, the father of David. So we see that Ruth found grace in the eyes of Boaz, who bought her. Paid everything that was owed. And even as there were many reasons why a Boaz should, should not have paid her any attention, because she was poor, she was a stranger from the land uh, of strange gods. She was not a Jew, but, and she had been married before. But that didn't keep Boaz from loving her and accepting her into his family. In the same way, we are the recipients of God's grace and the love, in spite of how unworthy we might feel or how we feel when there are losses in our life. God works things out, and he sent Jesus to be our friend and our brother in Hebrews chapter 2 and in verse 9, we see Jesus, who was made a little lower than the angels for the suffering of death, crowned with glory and honor, that he, may, that he by the grace of God should taste death for every man. So he tasted death for you, he tasted death for me. For it became him for whom are all things, and by whom are all things, in bringing many sons unto glory to make the captain of their salvation perfect through sufferings. For both he that sanctifies and they who are sanctified are all of one, for which cause he is not ashamed to call them brethren. Not ashamed to call you, not ashamed to call me brethren. Close kin. For as much then as the children are partakers of flesh and blood, he also himself likewise took part of the same, that through death he might destroy him, that had the power of death, and that is the devil, and deliver them who through fear of death were all their lifetime subject to bondage. For verily he took not on him the nature of angels, but he took on him the seed of Abraham. Wherefore in all things it behoved him to be made like unto his brethren, that he might be a merciful and faithful priest in things pertaining to God to make reconciliation for the sins of the people. So we should therefore be humble, and be thankful that we have been chosen in a way to be the bride of Jesus Christ, finding favor in him, in the Father who led us to his Son, who bought and paid for us by taking upon himself the death penalty for sin. In James chapter 4, verse 7, it says for us that we should submit ourselves to God, to resist the devil, and he will flee from you that we are to draw 
close to God, to draw nigh unto him, and he will draw nigh, nigh to you. So cleanse your hands, you sinners, and purify your hearts, you double-minded. Be afflicted and mourn and weep. Let your laughter be turned to mourning and your joy to heaviness. Humble yourselves in the sight of the Lord, and he shall lift you up. Speak not evil of one another, brethren. He that speaks evil of his brother and judges his brother speaks evil of the law and judges the law. But if you judge the law, you are not a doer of the law, but a judge. But we see the grace of God here. That is, that it is the principle, the foundation of salvation to any and all who will come humbly to, to him. Rahab, we saw, had been a Canaanite. Now Ruth, a Moabite, was to enter the house of Israel in the lineage of Jesus Christ. And salvation, as it says in Romans 11, salvation is come unto the Gentiles. The fourth principle is that of restoration, as we see in Bathsheba. Matthew 1, verse 6, it says, Jesse begat David the king, and David the king begat Solomon of her that had been, had been the wife of Urias, and that was Bathsheba. You know the story. She had put herself in a situation in which she was able to tempt David. She's taking a bath there, and she caught King David's interest. And so she soon had an affair with uh, King David while Uriah was out fighting uh, for the king. And she became with child, and David tried to cover up the whole affair. He even sent Uriah into the thick of the ba battle where he'd most likely be killed. That's what he hoped would happen, and, and it did. But it was Nathan the prophet who made, came to David and made David realize his sin and judge himself by his own words. 2 Samuel chapter 12, verse 9. Wherefore have you despised the commandment of the Eternal, to do evil in his sight? You can imagine how Samuel must have addressed that to David. How is it that you've despised the commandment of the Lord to do evil in his sight? You've killed Uriah the Hittite with the sword. You've taken his wife to be your wife. And you have slain him with the sword of the children of Ammon. Now therefore the sword shall never depart from your house because you have despised me and have taken the wife of Uriah the Hittite to be your wife. Verse 13, And David said unto Nathan, I have sinned against the Lord. And Nathan said unto David, The Lord also has put away your sin. You shall not die. Verse 14, Howbeit, because by this deed you have given great occasion to the enemies of the Lord to blaspheme. The child also that is born unto you shall surely die. And Nathan departed unto his house, and the Lord struck the child that Uriah's wife bare unto David, and it was very sick. David therefore besought God for the child, and David fasted and went in and lay all night upon the earth. And the child died. And David comforted Bathsheba, his wife. And you know Bathsheba must have taken that pretty hard. David went in and comforted her. He went, and he went in unto her and lay with her, and she bare a son, and he called his name Solomon. And the Lord loved him. But here again we see the mercy and the forgiveness and the grace of God toward Bathsheba and David as well in their restoration. Bathsheba represents God's love toward wayward Christians. 
of those who stray from his will and purpose in their life. And this principle of restoration is Christ's intercession for us upon confession and repentance. 1 John chapter 2, verse 1. My little children, these things write I unto you, that you sin not. And if any man sin, we have an advocate with the Father, Jesus Christ the righteous. And he is a perpetuation for our sins, not for ours only, but also for the sins of the whole world. And hereby we do know him if we keep his commandments. You know, from time to time we just sort of have to ask ourselves, am I doing that? So King David saw his sin with Bathsheba. And he knew that only God could forgive him and restore him along the path of righteousness and towards salvation. We read in Psalm 51, and you know there's probably times in which we probably have read this psalm with a lot of feeling and something that we can relate to. I know that I have. Verse 2, wash me thoroughly from my iniquity and cleanse me from my sin. For I acknowledge my transgression. My sin is ever before me. Even though sometimes you feel like, well, you know, the sin has been forgiven, everything's gone by, yet sometimes it pops up in your mind again. Against you, you only have I sinned and done this evil in your sight that you might be justified when you speak and be clear when you judge. Behold, I was shapen in iniquity, and in sin did my mother conceive me. Skip to verse 9. Hide your face from my sins and blot out all my iniquities created me a clean heart, O God, and renew a right spirit within me. Cast me not away from your presence, and take not your Holy Spirit from me. Restore unto me the joy of your salvation, and uphold me with your spirit, your free spirit. Then will I teach transgressors your ways, and sinners shall be converted unto you. So we see in David a man after God's own heart. David knew God was a God of mercy, plenteous in mercy, and he trusted in God's love. Nevertheless, sin uh, uh, took its toll on David. And David's experience, he experienced the love and the mercy of God, and he is able to show us how God can and will restore any who sin and repent. For it is in the heart of God to love and to forgive and to work his purpose and restore, not willing that any should per, uh, perish. So God restored King David, and he restored Bathsheba. All have sinned. All are in need of the faith and grace of God and, in, and restoration. But in this principle of restoration, we see how God shows us to let, you know, bygones be bygones because, you know, there's no way to redo or undo some past mistake. They can only be forgiven and remembered by no more by God. So, you know, from this point on, from this moment on, from this time on, there are no stains on today or tomorrow. From this moment on, we're clean in the Lord. But we know that to come is a restoration of all things and a restoring of life. In Joel chapter 2, Verse 23, be glad, you children of Zion, and rejoice in the Lord your God, for he has given you the former rain moderately, and he will cause to come down for you the rain, the former rain, and the latter rain in the first month. 
and the floors shall be full of wheat, and the, and the fats shall overflow with wine and oil. And I will restore you the years that the locust has eaten, the canker worm and the caterpillar and the palmer worm, my great army which I sent among you. And you shall eat in plenty and be satisfied and praise the name of the Lord your God that has dealt wondrously with you and my people shall never be ashamed. So we see this promise of restoration what the locust has devoured. A part of their life that has, has ruined and corrupted them will be restored. And through David and Bathsheba, through Bathsheba we can see that restoration that came through Jesus Christ. Finally, verse uh, in Matthew chapter 1, the principle of the indwelling of Christ through the Holy Spirit as we see in Mary. Matthew 1, chapter 16, Jacob begat Joseph, the husband of Mary, of whom was born Jesus, who is called Christ. So all the generations from Abraham to David are 14 generations, and from David until the carrying away into Babylon are 14 generations, and from the carrying away into the Babylon to Christ are 14 generations. Now the birth of Jesus Christ was on this wise, when as his mother Mary was espoused to Joseph before they came together, she was found with child of the Holy Spirit. Drop down to verse 21. <clears throat> And she shall bring forth a son, and you shall call his name Jesus, for he shall save his people from their sins. Now all this was done that it might be fulfilled, which was spoken of the Lord by the prophet, saying, Behold, a virgin shall be with child, and shall bring forth a son, and they shall call his name Emmanuel, which being interpreted, God with us. It was a divine privilege for Mary to carry Christ in her womb, but she was like all human beings in need of a savior, in need of faith, in need of grace, in need of restoration. Luke chapter 1 verse 46. And Mary said, my soul does magnify the Lord. And my spirit has rejoiced in God my savior. For he has regarded the low estate of his handmaiden. For behold, from henceforth all generations shall call me blessed. For he that is mighty has done to me great things, and holy is his name. And his mercy is on them that fear him from generation to generation. The last time we see Mary uh, mentioned is in the book of Acts. And that was where they were met in the upper room with the other disciples. And they were all waiting for the promise from on high. In Romans chapter 8, verse 6. To be carnally minded is death. This comes from the Greek uh, phronema, which means a carnal way of thinking. But to be spiritually minded is a way of, of thinking that thinking on God's way, on his way of love, which is life, not death, but is life and peace. No wars, you know, no fighting, things of that sort. Verse 8, so then they that are in the flesh can't please God. That's just an automatic, that uh, ungodly ways do not please God. Verse 11, but if the spirit of him that raised up Jesus from the dead dwell in you, he that raised up Christ from the dead shall also quicken you, quicken your mortal body, bodies by his spirit that dwells in you. Therefore, brethren, we're debtors, not to the flesh, to live after the flesh. For if you live after the flesh, you shall die. But if you through the Spirit do mortify the deeds of the body, you shall live. 
For as many as are led by the Spirit, they are the sons of God. So, this knowledge about, in verse 15, you've not received the spirit of bondage, again, to fear, but you've received the spirit of adoption, whereby we cry, Abba, Father. This knowledge is something we feel because we see the change in our life. We feel the change in our life. And we feel our closeness to God and that we are going His way. So, just as Christ dwelt, or was in Mary's physical body to be born into the world, so now does the Spirit of God that was implanted into our mind and in our heart that we also wait that born-again moment when we are born into the kingdom of God as spirit beings. Now, there are other women of the Bible whose stories, you know, have a, have a bearing on our life today, and we can read about those. But in these fives, we can glean principles that apply to salvation of where we've come from, of where we're going, and the things that make it all worthwhile with God's helping hand. We see the principle of sin, how that all have sinned and are in need of God's love, in need of repentance. We see the principle of faith, that there is no other God that can save. We see the principle of grace, that God's salvation is toward all who come to him. And the principle of restoration, how that God forgives and can restore and we see the principle of the indwelling uh, of Christ, how that we have the Holy Spirit. Colossians chapter 1, verse 21, And you that were sometimes alienated and enemies in your mind by wicked works, yet now has he reconciled in the body of his flesh through death to present you holy and unblameable and unreprovable in his sight. If you continue grounded and settled, and be not moved away from the hope of the gospel which you have heard, and which was preached to every creature which is under heaven, whereof I, Paul, am a minister. Verse 25, whereof I am made a minister according to the dispensation of God which is given to me for you to fulfill the word of God. Uh, we see over in uh, Galatians 2, verse 20, that the apostle Paul said, I am crucified with Christ. Nevertheless, I live, yet not I, but Christ lives in me. And the life which I now live in the flesh, I live by the faith of the Son of God, who loved me and gave himself for me. We know that we are the temple of the living God, and that God said, I will dwell in them, and I will be their God, and I will, uh, they shall be my people, I will walk with them. Uh, back over to uh, Colossians, in verse 26. Even the mercy, or even the mystery, which he has been, which has been hid from ages and from generations, now is made manifest to his saints. We know about the saving salvation power of God. Not only do we see it through the word of God and the examples of, uh, of the people whose names we see in the Bible. We also experience it through the holy days that we keep. We see God's salvation. Verse 27 to whom God would make known what is the riches of the glory of this mystery among the Gentiles, which is Christ in you, the hope of glory, whom we preach, warning every man and teaching every man in all wisdom that we may present every man perfect in Christ Jesus. Closing scripture, Romans chapter 13.
verse 10, to remember. <clears throat> it says that love works no ill to his neighbor. Therefore, love is the fulfilling of the law. And we can see how God has fulfilled his love in all of these names that we see that are tied together in the Bible. This list of names. Verse 11. And that knowing the time that now it is high time to awake out of sleep. For now is our salvation nearer than when we believe. The night is far spent and the day is at hand. Let us therefore cast off the works of darkness and let us put on the armor of light. Let us walk honestly as in the day, not in rioting and drunkenness, not in chambering and wantonness, not in strife and envying, but put you on the Lord Jesus Christ and make not provision for the flesh to fulfill the lust thereof. So we see in these women some of the principles of salvation from, you know, we sin at first and then we're restored and we have the indwelling of God's Holy Spirit that will lead us, that will lead us to salvation. 